This is Many Lamps in the Room, a podcast by and for New City Church in Vienna, Virginia. This week we present the final part of Pastor Paul's talk on friendship that he gave at the men's retreat. Before we get to that, however, we always like to start our podcast with a brief discussion about the catechism question from this Sunday's liturgy. Question 30 from the New City Catechism. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging the truth of everything that God has revealed in his word, trusting in him, and also receiving and resting on him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. There are some that treat faith as the object of salvation. Hmm. And I've been thinking about this a little bit just because, you know, our current sermon series, but also in our children's Sunday school class, we're going through the Westminster Confessions and we're going over chapter 14, which is of saving faith. We ask like, oh, how are you saved? Oh, it's faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but it seems like faith is the vehicle by which you are saved, Mm -hmm. which is, again, this question is getting at is no, Christ is what saves you. Mm -hmm. So what exactly is this faith doing then? Mm. Faith is in itself a grace that God has given us Mm -hmm. so that we can believe in his word Mm. and believe in Christ, Mm. which is very helpful because it takes takes the power and control from you. Mm. Because again, if... All it is is your faith Mm. in Christ Mm. that saves you. Then it's not really Christ that's saving you. You are, Mm. in in a sense, right? Because Christ has accomplished this thing, but I still have kind of this this part in this salvation because I need to produce this faith in order to be saved. Mm. And what the Confessions is saying is, no, faith is foreign to you. Mm. Faith is something that God gives to you Mm. and we receive and there, and because we have received faith, we are then enabled to believe in Christ, mm. to look at God's word and say, this is true. Mm. And that's why, again, this, the way that this answer starts is faith in Christ is acknowledging the truth of everything that God has revealed in his word. Mm. That's the first part, because, again, that is what faith enables you to actually do. Mm-hmm. is to acknowledge that this is true. And apart from that, apart from what we would say is saving faith, mm-hmm. you would never believe that. Mm-hmm. And again, this is this is a reformed position on mm-hmm. this, but that's the idea is that, again, salvation, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is our sin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So don't get it mixed up. Faith is not something that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Some Faith is not something that we are producing, Mm. but it is given, and that faith is in this person, Jesus Christ, Mm. who died and paid for our sins so that we might have salvation in Mm. him. And so that's kind of what this is spelling out. It's worth thinking through because I think for many people, it's that work-based salvation is so difficult to rid ourselves of. And just when we think we have, Mm. then again, we take faith and we use it almost as as a work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's a way that we can think back on this and always remember and 
be humble at all times as we approach Christ and understand that he alone is the one that accomplishes it. And God is the only one that enables us to have that faith. I think the only thing I would add to that is that sometimes faith can be a little bit confusing because salvation is is sort of a binary state of being. You're either saved or you're not saved. And so it's sometimes tempting to think of faith as also kind of binary. You mm-hmm. either have faith or you don't. Right, yeah. But I think faith is a little bit more like sanctification where it's it's a it's a gift that is continuously given. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that nuance. And, and again, the confessions, they kind of spell that out as yeah, well. Yeah. I think it's maybe it might be the third paragraph of chapter 14, but it, it essentially says there are levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It basically says as long as you possess this saving faith, it accomplishes victory for you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's lesser or greater, weaker or stronger. It is effective. Mm-hmm. But when it's talking about the lesser or weaker or like the way that I put it is immature versus mature mm-hmm. is that the benefits as far as you, the believer, have increase as you as your faith increases. Mm-hmm. And and the way that it one of the I think the the way that it talks about it is your assurance of salvation yeah. is deepened mm-hmm. as your faith grows. Mm-hmm. And that again, like it doesn't benefit God for you mm-hmm. for you to do that, but it does benefit you, the believer. Mm-hmm. And so in many ways, again, our as we our faith strengthens, as our faith matures, we are enabled to do more. When I look at moments in life, I became a much better friend by experiencing true friendship. Right. I also became a better friend by experiencing bad friends. Like I, like I knew what I didn't want to be like, but I would say positively, you learn how to be a good friend by actually experiencing good friendship. And the true friend in life that teaches us how to be a good friend is Jesus. You almost like stop thinking about things like, what is Jesus like? Because instead you just think about this friend. You're like, this is exactly what Jesus is like. And this is so attractive. And this is so inspiring, right? Those are the people that will typically become the friends in your inner circle. But again, do you see this pattern? They're not people who have tried to become in your inner circle. By the way, those kind of people are very needy and like, they tend not to be, they tend to be in the friendly circle, just to be honest, right? But the people who are in your inner circle, they generally did not try to be kind in your inner circle. It's because they were trying for something else that somehow they became part of your inner circle. So, Father Tom, does that sort of, like, you know, any yeah. thoughts on that in terms of the difference? I mean, I think the only thing I would add is sometimes the best way to be an encouragement to others is, is not just by showing virtue, but also by being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's by confession. It's by letting people know the struggles that you are going through, opening them up to the needs that you have, the, the weaknesses that you have. That also shows Jesus because it shows how Absolutely, yeah. sanctification is still necessary and at work in your life. And so it does, I think to be a good friend doesn't just mean that you have to 
be a paragon of virtue. Yeah, absolutely. But I would actually include that the paragon of virtue is vulnerability. And we see this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when Jesus is with his disciples and then with his inner circle? He becomes very vulnerable with them. He's, he basically tells them, hey, listen, I, I don't want to do this. This is going to be really bad at the cross, right? He says, would you pray with me? Would you stay with me? And that is actually very, you know, that's very instructive that Jesus, the Son of God, second person of Trinity, would become so vulnerable and basically say, I don't think I'm going to be able to get through this night without you. But again, what's really interesting is he never says that to the crowd. There is like helpful distinctions that he does. But yeah, so inner circle does. And Jason, I think this sort of gets to your question, right? Where people in your inner circle, you're vulnerable with, and they are vulnerable with you as well. So I think that that is a trademark of the inner circle. So my last encouragement, and I would really love just any interaction on this, right? But let me summarize, right? Like, brothers, like, I hope you would believe, like, in the absolute necessity of friendship as I've defined it in terms of the inner circle. Like, you need an inner circle. There are people you're called to be friendly with, Jesus in the crowds. You want to have, like, friends, people you serve with, like his disciples, right? Your small group, baby, your family group. But then everyone needs an inner circle. That's like my main argument. You need an inner circle in your life. Absolutely. God designed this too, right? Great example, David and Jonathan. David would have never made it without Jonathan being in his inner circle. This is a great example. So we all need an inner circle. And therefore, to that end, I would encourage you not to be too busy where you're not aspiring to invest in friendships, right? But having said this, right, really, like I would, you know, take inventory and really understand that I think, again, like the witness of the Bible is that if you want friends, you need to want something more than friendship. And you have to avoid the technique approach, right? Instead, like, you have to want the glory of God. I would actually really encourage you in this way. Try this, you know, and I know this sounds like a technique too, but love God. Desire for other people to know God and just love people, right? You will find that friendship comes incidentally and that you have your inner circle, the very thing that I think you need to make it through life. Okay, so anyway, I just want to open up the floor. Thoughts, questions on this, Jason? Yeah, it's sort of a two-part clarifying question. So when we think about the church as family, in one sense, we are all part of like you mentioned, the inner circle mm-hmm. of Christ in, in one sense, right? So, so, what, so we are all the brotherhood of Christ, yep. I guess you could say. And therefore, it's not healthy for us to have arbitrary or incidental boundaries that we put up, that we should have a level of vulnerability with one another as in the context of the local church as family. Yet at the same time, it's probably not healthy or sustainable for us to be completely vulnerable and open to yeah. everyone because we have... Uh, boundaries and st- limit on stable relationships. So the first question is, how does that sustainably and healthily look like in the context of a local church? Is part one like how? And you touched on it a little bit, like you mentioned family group. Yeah. But I want to take your brain a little more on that. What does that look like? Yeah. Um, and then part two is because of the fact that we have this unique bond as Christians and the church. Uh, does that mean that? our inner circle should be primarily comprised of those in the church or 
is that overly cultish and we should actually be seeking these good friendships outside of the church as well. So that's sort of like the two, the two questions there. Is that other, I'll go first in the moment. So two questions. One is this. So brothers, you know it's really helpful? Like if you have a chance, I would study the genre of wisdom in the Bible. Wisdom in the Bible. And so wisdom in the Bible it talks a lot about how to live with two apparently contradictory truths. So in the book of Proverbs, for instance, it says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. And then the next verse it says, answer a fool according to his folly. So that seems like a contradiction, right? That's where the biblical teaching on like wisdom, if this sermon is very helpful. So this is on the one hand, the Bible does teach, right? Love the saints, right? So the book of James says, don't discriminate, right? What might this look like? So your local church, you specifically members are family. So I will say this is like, for instance, what it looks like for me and my wife and our household. What I do is like, it's, it's harder to do as church gets bigger, but we literally work through the directory, meaning we mechanically invite everybody over at least once a year, if not twice, like once every two years. We just try to work through it. It's not like this. We work through the directory, we're like, mm, no, <laughs> next, right? Like, because the Bible's clear, we're the church, so we have to love all, right? Or let's say a, a church member wants to meet with me. I'm not going to refuse a church member because we're family. So that's an example of loving all without discrimination, right? But at the same time, there, like, if friendship didn't exist as a unique category, I, I, I would then ask, why does the Bible highlight it? You know, why does Paul talk about, why does Jesus practice this thing called the inner circle, right? And so there's a way, I think, to love everyone in your family, but then also having an inner circle. So let's say, like, for instance, Gina and I are having marital issues, right? There's no way in the world I'm going to invite a new member over for dinner. And as we're sharing, oh, let me tell you about our marriage history. And, you know, like, there's a, there isn't wisdom to that. Like, and so... And by the way, we see this even in terms of our own family, right? I have three kids, right? I love them all equally, but differently too. And there are certain things like, for instance, Christian, my first son, who's older than Alea, right? Where um, like I'll share certain things with him because of his maturity and ability too. That would seem discriminating, right? And so I think that it's possible to love everybody, but at the same time, and by the way, it's not like this too. We don't generally, like my wife and I, we don't work through the directory and say, friendly, friendly, friend, inner circle. <laughs> like, like, it wasn't really like that, but it's more like, again, the inner circle, it happens almost. Does that make sense, right? And so that's one way I would answer that. In terms of like, do I think that your inner circle can include people outside of the church? Like the obvious answer is actually yes. I think it can, right? And I think that's a little different from saying, like, it should. I think that's a little bit different. Um, I think it can happen. I will share with you, like, how I approach a lot of things in life. I think that when you and I stand before God, there are spheres of influence, right? So God is not going to ask me, how come you didn't help the countless people in Japan come to know the Lord? I don't think that's one of the questions God is going to ask me. I think there are spheres of responsibility. So when I stand before Jesus, like our king, I know he's going to ask me about like whether I was a good husband. I know that for a fact. I know he's going to ask me whether I was a good father. 
And then I think he's going to definitely ask me whether I was a faithful son, because those are things that God calls very explicitly. And then I know, because I made a vow, right, God is going to keep me accountable as a pastor of a new city. I know that for a fact. So these things, right, husband, father, son, and pastor, and do you even notice I don't include seventy professors. Now, I treat that seriously, but I have never made a covenant commitment. Does that make sense? In that sense. And so for me, right, to do these four things well, and then, you know, seminary too, right, but these four things well, it basically sucks up all my time and energy. So I have found it to be very difficult to have people in my inner circle that are not intersecting with these spheres of influence or responsibility. So I have like buddies in New York I grew up with. I love them, but I'm not talking to them about my marriage, my fatherhood, my church, right? And so inevitably, it's very hard for them to be my inner circle, at least right now. Although one important thing all authors say is this, you should be very okay with this. Your friendship circles will inevitably change over time, and that's fine. You know, like Jason and Priscilla did something I thought was so awesome. Last year they did a jubilee. And this year, my wife and I were doing a jubilee as well, trying to follow his good example. But one of the reasons why we're doing this, meaning a big party, is because we got married, I don't know, 14 years or something like that. The people then that were our friends and part of our lives, many of them are not part of our lives anymore. But the people we call family today, right, many of them, like, I would say more than half of you were not at my wedding, right? And so to sort of celebrate our marriage, in the context of our family today, we're going to have a jubilee. But you see, that's to say that we should be okay with like friendships evolving too, because that's okay. In May, we have our respite night. And this is just an announcement that there's a lot of parents that don't utilize this program. I think it's a fantastic program that we have where you can drop off your kids the third Friday of every month, okay. six to nine. It's three hours where we will watch your kids. We will teach them. We will feed them. And you just have to pick them up at the end. Mm. And it's an opportunity for parents, really, to have a respite night. It's not for the kids to have a respite night. It's for the parents. <laughs> so it's for you to drop have your kids off, yeah. go on a date. Even if you don't want to go on a date, maybe all you want to do is veg out at home without one of your children screaming and just wander around Tyson's corner together, yeah. just window shop. Just it's, it's just some way that you might get a moment of reprieve from, from life yeah. and from all of that and spend time with your spouse. So please utilize it. It's, we do it every other month. So in May, it's going to be actually on the 26th because RTS is having a graduation banquet. So it'll be May 26th. We will not be having a respite night in July because VBS is taking place. And so VBS for everyone, it's coming up in the end of July, July 24th to the 28th. It's going to be for kindergartners all the way up to fifth grade. Last year, it was rising kindergartners through fifth graders. For this year, it's going to be those who have just finished 
but are still technically in kindergarten through fifth grade. Like roughly six and up. Yeah. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because the next announcement is in August, August 12th, we are planning a open house. And that is going to be for basically any parent that has children that will be coming into children's ministry or moving from children's ministry out into student ministry. We'll have the team members from the preschool, Mm -hmm. uh, then we'll have children's ministry teachers and volunteers, and we'll also have student ministry leaders and and teachers and such. And it's just an opportunity for parents to meet these teachers and for kids to meet the teachers Mm -hmm. as they're transitioning from the different grades or different ministries. Any thoughts on Jason's question? Yeah, I mean, I think you will find both that the friendships that you're led into are not ones that you would have chosen for yourself, that you will find yourself in relationship with people that maybe five, ten years ago you would have not had conversations with or Mm -hmm. not have been attracted to. And I think that's the gospel at work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also think that it's, it's... really good to initiate and to seek out people and and take a chance and ask people to be in deeper relationship with you i think that's also important and necessary i you know i'll i'll share i'll share personally that i've been in recovery and one of the things one of the really great things that have come from that recovery has been meeting weekly with a group of men uh, in a recovery group and because I needed people that I can confess to without them freaking out, <laughs> without them freaking out about. And that kind of camaraderie was a unique kind of camaraderie that I wasn't, I hope that can eventually get fostered in church, but it wasn't moving fast enough for me to, for me to be able to, to find that necessarily within the people that I, that I normally surrounded myself with. So to, take the initiative and join this recovery group has been an, a huge part of my social fabric right now. And so sometimes you just, you, you need to take initiative and you need to find people that, you know, are going to help your growth in certain ways. And so I think it's both. I think sometimes yep. accidentally yeah. you'll yeah. find yourself with deep relationships that you wouldn't have expected. And other times you have to, you have to make a way for yourself. Uh, yeah, so I appreciate that clarification. So I should, I think I overstated one aspect where I said it's incidental. I think that part of the gospel, again, you see this with Jesus, is he actually initiates, right? There is actually a gospel component to that. And so I, I should clarify something. So like, for instance, three, four years ago, I remember my wife and I, we actually did have this conversation. We said, we believe like friendship is so important. We believe that. And it's actually interesting during this time the church was continuing to grow and you know like honestly bigger church you guys know all that means is bigger problems okay so and i remember my wife and i were saying there's nothing shameful to say we're gonna need good friends we're gonna need good friends and so i remember we said okay we're gonna identify a few people we're gonna mutually invest in right but when I look back, but it was also friendships where already I could tell we had shared convictions. It wasn't like arbitrary too, right? I do agree with you. There's there's definitely a proactivity initiative involved where 
during that year, we said, okay, we're going to intentionally invest in certain friends. But I will say that, and you know, you can say they were self-interested or something, but I knew that these friendships would play their fruit because it wasn't just that we believed in the gospel, because a lot of Christians will say that, but we had common ministry philosophy. Because you see, what I've noticed is that you can claim to believe in the gospel, but actually not have common ministry philosophy in terms of conviction and approach. And uh, by the grace of God, these friendships have really borne much fruit. But yeah, I, I don't want to give the impression that just be passive, follow Jesus, and so forth. I think along the way, you will discover kindred spirits, right? And I would actually say, when you discover a kindred spirit, you should invest heavily in those. I would say that, that's really helpful. John? Would you speak to uh, any correlation between our relationship with Jesus and developing an inner circle? Oh yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but very quickly I'll say just two things. One, your relationship with Jesus absolutely has such a profound impact on your friendship. Because you see, if you don't have a deep and vibrant and real relationship with Jesus, you know, every Christian philosopher has talked about this. You're going to have a hole in your heart. You are. You're going to be basically a bucket with many holes. And so what ends up happening is that you cannot actually love people in the way that Jesus loved people. You know, he loved the crowds without expectation. Instead, a lot of your friendships will be primarily driven to fill that very real hole that you have, right? Whereas I would say in a very real existential profound way, when you have a relationship with Jesus, he fills you up and then he fills you up in a way that you know, you're able to overflow with love for other people. So that whether they reciprocate, whether they love, it's not as impactful. So I'd say that's one way. That, and this is very real. It's very practical. But the other thing is this, Jesus is honestly the only true friend we'll ever have in life. When I look at moments in life, I became a much better friend by experiencing true friendship, right? I also became a better friend by experiencing bad friends. Like I, like I knew what I didn't want to be like, but I would say positively, you learn how to be a good friend by actually experiencing good friendship. And the true friend in life that teaches us how to be a good friend is Jesus. So absolutely, apart from Jesus, this is why Aristotle is helpful, but ultimately inadequate. Because he leads to more of a technique approach. Whereas Jesus leads to a transformative loving approach. Let me just close by encouraging you. Prioritize friendship. And I would say it's never too late. It's never too late. You know, and I just want to also just encourage you finally in this way. I know in the DMD area, there's a preoccupation with like success and security, success and security, right? But I think the older we get, haven't you noticed this like fullness of life actually doesn't come from like career success, financial success and all of that. Like fullness of life actually does come from the friendships that we experience, right? And so I want to encourage you like, this is what the gospel says. Often our problems are that we ask and we want too little from God. Does that make sense? There is nothing wrong with wanting a full life. Jesus said, I've come so that you might have life to like the fullest. And to that end, the gospel commends friendship to us.
Dana, when she first met me, when we first met and started dating, I was so skinny. Mm. She said, I was like a beanpole. And were you like you Elijah? Can, like Elijah, <laughs> exactly. Like Elijah, exactly. In fact, she didn't tell me this at the time, but when, you know, once we'd married and several years had passed, she confessed that she thought like I was, I looked like a, a like a metrosexual, like really like, cause she was like, you wore these, you were so skinny and where you wore these like tight clothes and, yeah. you know, and uh, so that was regrettable. But you know, when, when we started dating and, and especially once we started, once we got married, mm. I gained on, you know, some weight. And uh, I remember running into a pastor from my childhood mm. who saw me and he looked really surprised. Uh -huh. And he's like, oh, Tom, you look good. Uh -huh. You filled out, <laughs> you know, before you were this skinny little thing. And now like you, you look like you've really matured and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I got, I had several sort of moments of positive reinforcements along mm -hmm. that, along yeah. that vein. And so that's been terrible for me because <laughs> I'm so gluttonous now. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, it's good for me. I look better this way. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah that's it's, bad. It's so, you know, again, like in our, in my marriage with, you know, Avery, you, they, they say there's two types of people. Yeah. There are people that eat to live. Yeah. And then live to eat. Yeah. And so what that means is the people that eat to live, they're merely eating so they survive. They have fuel for their body. Yeah, they don't really care about food. They don't really enjoy food. Yeah. And then the people that live to eat, Yeah. I mean, eating is the reason why they're alive, yeah. right? Because it's so enjoyable. And and unfortunately, both Avery and I are live to eat kind of people. Yeah. We're the yeah. type of people that I will, yeah, we think about, oh, what are we going to eat tomorrow? What yeah. can we eat? And we get really excited about, you know. Oh, man. So the, it, it comes together to create this force where we both should be telling each other, oh, you should eat healthier. But we're both like, oh, yeah, we should eat that. Should I have ice cream? Definitely, you should have ice cream. Should I have this cookie? Yes, you should have this cookie. Uh, but yeah. Uh, you guys still look great. We pray our discussion was edifying to you, and we'd love to hear any feedback. Mark's email is mark at newcityva.org. Stephen Price provided the music, and you can find more of it at almadogma.bandcamp.com. That's A-L-M-A-D-O-G-M-A.bandcamp.com. We're recording on equipment generously donated by Sonny Kim, and you can find out more about our church at newcityva.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, watch those windows.